Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Haley Barton, and joined today again by the Reverend Tina Harris, who's been hosting with me throughout our season. And we're in a season on Lent right now, and we're looking at a just Lent, an invitation into a just Lent, learning to love what God loves. And God is so clear in the scriptures that God loves justice, that God is a God of justice, that we as Christians are to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And so this whole season is really narrowing down this practice of self-awareness, confession and repentance, narrowing it down to look at issues of justice. Justice within these Lenten disciplines. And we are following InterVarsity Press's little booklet called A Just Passion, a six-week Lenten journey, and have invited many of the contributors to that resource to be with us as our guests. And today, we are very privileged to have Terry Wildman, who is the lead translator and project manager of the First Nations version of the New Testament. So we have been reading his translation, the First Nations version, throughout our episodes. And so we're very, very happy to talk with him today about the translation itself. He also serves as the Director of Spiritual Growth and Leadership Development for Native InterVarsity. He's the founder of Rain Ministries and has previously served as a pastor and worship leader. Uh, he and his wife are the Grammy-nominated and NAMI award-winning musical duo and recording artist known as Rain Song. And so welcome to you, Terry. So privileged to have you with us today. And I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself to our audience, telling us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, thank you for having me here. I'll open up in the, in the Ojibwe language. Perfect. So what I said was in Ojibwe was, hello, my friends who share this life together with me. My name is Terry Wildman. My ancestry includes Ojibwe from Ontario, Canada, Yaki from Sonora, Mexico, as well as English, German, and Spaniard. I am married to Darlene Wildman, have five children, eight grandchildren, three great-grandchildren, and my wife and I currently live in Maricopa, Arizona, on the traditional lands of the Tohono O'odham and the Pima. Mm. It's good to be here. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. Today we want to talk a little bit about your translation and certainly the way in which um your choice to do this translation and InterVarsity's choice to publish it is actually a facet of justice, that to publish a translation like that is is deeply connected to the justice journey and how you experience it to be that way. And so we'll talk about that as we go, but I thought maybe we could begin with you reading your dedication. We all agreed that that dedication was so beautiful, and we want you to talk about the dedication itself because it says so much about why you gave yourself to this really, really significant project that's now blessing us all. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll read uh, from the dedication. This translation of the good story is dedicated to the indigenous peoples of Turtle Island, North America, the tribal nations that call this land home. We pray the First Nations version will bring healing to those who have suffered under the dominance of colonial governments who with the help of churches and missionary organizations, often took our land, mm -hmm. our languages, our cultures, and even our children. Mm -hmm. As our tribal nations work hard to reclaim what has been stolen, it is our hope that the colonial language 
that was forced upon us can now serve our people in a good way by presenting Creator Sets Free, Jesus, in a more culturally relevant context. Ooh, that is so exciting and inspiring. And, you know, in the dedication itself, you can hear the justice themes. Mm-hmm. Um, can you yeah. pull out some of those justice threads, though, just from the dedication? Because they're so, they're so clear, but I'd like to talk about them a little bit. Well, one of the things as we think about colonialism and the effects it's had on our Native people, most people today, uh, my wife and I traveled for 10 years traveling and visiting reservations, visiting tribal centers, visiting native churches. And um, we kept hearing the same story over and over again. Uh, When I lived on the Hopi reservation, I found a Bible that was uh, uh, in the storage room written in the Hopi language. And I was so excited because I wanted our church that I was pastoring at the time to begin to read from it. Uh, on Sunday morning in Hopi, because I hadn't heard uh, or seen this used before. And then I found out that none of our people could read from it. Hmm. They didn't know how to read Hopi. And it, and, and it just really hit me hard. And it, it made me realize, wow, this goes really deep. Because right now, the Hopi people cannot hear the gospel, the story of Jesus, in their own languages. And so the injustice of that is, is it's the removal of, of, of a, of culture, of language, of connection. Um, and it's also the forcing of a language on a people. Mm-hmm. You know, if today someone decided that German was going to be our language and a country came in here and said, everybody has to learn this language. You have to forget your own language and speak only this language from now on. And we're going to put your kids in school. And we're going to do all those things. I mean, we'd have a war. Mm-hmm. We, we truly would because no one today uh, would accept that that's okay to do that. But here is an example of, of just one small aspect of colonialism, but also yeah. Being language is so deep embedded in people. It is uh, without uh, to, to really have and hold on to our cultures. And, uh, and uh, we have to hold on to our languages. When you lose language, you lose a lot of your culture along with that language. And many times there are things that are expressed in languages that cannot be translated. They can't get make the translation over, so it was hard. So, so our people are hearing English translations, but not only English translations. Often, it was early on. It was the King James translation, <laughs> you know, from the dominant. Which even those dominant. of us who speak you know, English cannot understand. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that's that's about seven degrees removed <laughs> from being able to understand it. <laughs> And then, you know, as I understand the gospel, the good story of Jesus, when you take something as beautiful that to me, that's a beautiful story. It's a story. Of, it's a love story. It's a love story. And it, it has a great ending on it. But the, <laughs> the point I want to make here is when you take that story and force it on a people, it destroys the meaning of it. Mm. It ruins 
the story, it destroys the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why today, I think m- most people will say maybe 10% of our Native people would be uh, confessing Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and that they are followers of Jesus. So the problem also goes a little deeper in this, as you'll see in this dedication, that it was churches, missionary organizations that colluded with the government, mm-hmm. cooperated with the government, took money from the government to help the government civilize us. And that part of that civilization process was to remove our native identities and replace that identity with a colonial identity. Mm-hmm. And the churches, in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, participated in this process. Sometimes it was the Catholic churches, but Protestant churches were involved. In Michigan, where I grew up, the Methodist church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, ran a boarding school there for about 50, oh, 42 years. And so when you mix colonialism with Christianity, it becomes a weapon that harms rather than an ointment that heals. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple ideas that I just pull out of there. And we're hoping that this translation, because it's done by Native people, and it's done by people who believe that the message of Jesus is a genuine and valuable message that our people need, but, but we have to deconstruct it first. You know, there's a lot of talk about deconstruction today. Well, there is a need for colonial deconstruction. Mm-hmm. That what has been represented, the way Jesus has been represented, has to be torn down. Mm-hmm. And the real Jesus has to be presented. Mm-hmm. Because Paul talks about to the Galatians how there were was more than one Jesus. How are you believing in another Jesus? That's not the Jesus I presented to you. You're, you're, you're talking about it. You must be talking about another Jesus. So the Jesus, the, the colonial Jesus becomes someone that we have to unhitch from so that the real Jesus can shine through. Mm-hmm. And I believe our native people love the real Jesus. Mm-hmm. Amen. And they mm-hmm. will love him as they, and I'm, I, as we see this translation is an attempt to begin to, to break down that colonial way of thinking and process the, in the way the gospel is brought to us and and bring it to us in a more Native-friendly way uh, and spiritual way. Could you go over your statement one more time when you mix colonialism and Christianity? What happens? I just want to ponder that. I think our listeners need to ponder that. Well, when you mix colonialism with Christianity— it ruins Christianity. It ruins the message because the, the very act of taking over and forcing yourself on another people and, and taking away a uh, cultural identity and stealing land and removing people from their, their homelands and things like that gets mixed in with the message of Jesus. And Jesus then becomes a colonial because here are his followers. Mm-hmm. using these methods to bring Jesus to them. So since our native people often judge the message by the messenger, then Jesus must not be a good person or he must not be worthy of following because 
of the way that he's been brought by the way he was presented and, and brought to us through this colonial process. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> That's really a lot to think about. Um, <laughs> It's it was so interesting that you mentioned here so there's so much packed into this this dedication, but you talk about those who, with the help of churches and missionary organizations, took land, languages, culture, and even our children. And of course, mm-hmm. that is an issue that's in the news right this minute. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the residential school in British Columbia, where we're still processing, the world is still processing, they are still processing the unmarked graves of 215 indigenous children, still trying to figure out how to bring justice to this and how to, I mean, it's it just leaves you speechless. So here we are this very day actually processing the very things that you have put in your dedication. And I, I, I'm just very struck by it and that the point of the boarding schools were for the, was for the specific purpose of assimilating the minds and attitudes of native children into white, mm-hmm. into a white American thought process. The goal was to break down traditional teachings and replace them with white identity and white understandings, which is a profound act of injustice. Yeah. Yeah. When, when we think about God's justice, God's righteousness, righteousness and justice are basically the same. Mm-hmm. Same concept. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I often think when I use the word righteousness, I of, often think of my relationship with the creator and then justice. I think of my relationship with, with the people around me, with this world and the, and the people of the world. My wife and I actually participated back in 2012 in a ceremony at the Mount Pleasant boarding school where it was located it no longer is running of course but the tribe has now been given that land back Mm -hmm. in 2012 on june 6 my wife and i went to the chippewa tribe there Uh, they had a day of called honoring healing and remembering Mm. and the purpose was to honor and lament the memory of the indian children that were Mm. abused and died there and all the effects it had on the families and the effects it carries even to this day. Yeah. As we were there, uh, as a matter of fact, their own words are, we recognize the suffering, strength, and resilience of the children through a day of memoriam and fellowship. I remember that w- one of the things they did was they had discovered 158 names of the children who had died there. Mm-hmm. And, and these runners came in. They ran these names, hung around their neck, through the streets, and they came into the arena there where, where we were meeting uh, in front of the boarding school. And as they came in, each one announced a name over the microphone of the child. And there was a big drum there and they hit that drum with one beat and then it would be quiet and you would he- hear the elders weeping. Mm-hmm. And you could hear it every hit. Mm-hmm. You would hear it again and again as the elders uh, and, and it was good because it acknowledges what happened. You know, the, what makes colonialism even worse is the idea of sweeping it under the rug, mm. hiding it from, uh, from view and acting as if it never happened. Mm-hmm. And so that is like rubbing, rubbing insult into injury. 
uh, when that's done. But boy, when you bring things out in the open, you know, the tribe said, you know, uh, I remember one man stood up and he says, today we are forgiving the unforgivable. Oh, wow. You know, so, so yeah, colonialism had a, had a terrible effect, but I do believe that Jesus is a healer of colonialism. And, and you know, if we, if we can get to the real Jesus, the Jesus of justice, I often think about what's called the armor of God in mm-hmm. Ephesians. Mm-hmm. And it says the breastplate is a breastplate of justice. Mm-hmm. Yes, Lord. Why do we need a breastplate? Why do we need our heart protected by justice? Because ultimately, when you begin to see injustice, it breaks your heart. Mm-hmm. And we need something to protect our heart as we learn of the injustices and as we begin to feel the injustices that have happened, as we connect with people who have been unjustly treated, then what happens is is, is we need protection on our hearts because we can get to the place where it will devastate us to learn more and more and more. And, and so God protects our heart because he wants us to become justice doers. Mm-hmm. Okay, but he puts on our feet the gospel of peace and the message of the gospel. The sword is the message mm-hmm. of the gospel that cuts away the ugliness of colonialism. It cuts into the, to, to that part of the ugliness of our flesh and cuts it away and, and then begins to bring healing, uh, to us. And, mm-hmm. and so, our desire, I should say, put it this way, our desire for this translation was that this would be a beginning of a process of healing and, mm. and reconciliation. And so, yeah, I agree with you. That was real, that was in our heart and in our mind the whole time we were working, the five years we worked on this translation. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just, a, and I don't know of any other translation that would necessarily call itself a work of justice. Mm. Uh, but this to me is what your work is. It's a work of justice in providing an offering and doing the work of this translation. Amen. Tina, I want to create some space for you to respond. Oh, I'm feeling very full. Yeah. Um, right now from what you just shared, Terry, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to hold back tears uh, because when I think about not just being reminded of what has gone, what has gone on, but I'm also thinking about how little I know about what has happened in, to our first, mm-hmm. to the first nation brothers and sisters. And so I know a little, but I don't know a lot. And so I'm, also thinking about those who can't be remembered because I don't know them um, or mm-hmm. I didn't know about the stories. And and that makes me a little angry. Well, angry is not the right word. I just think that there, there are stories that aren't being told and shared and remembered. And I think that they should be. Uh, and I'm talking about uh, with schools and in churches. Those are the places in which these stories should be shared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you hear these stories and uh, for me, my wife and I lived in the Hopi Res for five years, mm-hmm. and I sat with elders who mm-hmm. told of the time that they took the elders away who refused to let their children go into the boarding schools, and they put them in Alcatraz. Oh my God! Oh. And 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 
just because these elders were standing up for their kids, they were protecting their children Mm -hmm. and they were taken away and the Mm -hmm. children were put into the boarding schools anyway. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you hear stories like that, I sat in front of these elders and what could I say? Mm. What can you say when that happens and when the churches are involved in it? They saw their children are being put in the boarding school that's run by a church. Mm. And and so it's hard to hear. And you said you, you got angry. Well, anger is the next step after you mm. feel the pain and begin to grieve with it. And anger comes. Anger can be appropriate an appropriate response as long as you don't let it uh, turn into rage That's and right. turn into violence. Anger can empower us to stand up against injustice. Mm-hmm. It energizes us in a good way. But the Bible says, "Be angry." That's right. But don't sin. Mm-hmm. Be angry, but don't let that anger turn into a rage that will burn up all the good things in your life. Mm-hmm. That's 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 where we have to be careful because mm-hmm. as we express these things and as we understand what happened uh you can you can become rageful mm-hmm. you know and 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 it's not helpful to return colonialism for colonialism injustice for injustice you know hate for hate uh is it it, it, it uh, work that way mm-hmm. the scriptures keep telling us no return love for hate yes lord Mm-hmm. And and we don't understand, a lot of us, I don't think, really understand the power of forgiveness. Because, you know, in much of the evangelical church, in my opinion, uh, forgiveness is always looked at as a, a personal thing. Mm-hmm. And I know it is personal, but it's also bigger than personal. Mm-hmm. Okay? Forgiveness, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He was talking more than just about the people in front of him, you know, he was talking about all of us yes. in some ways, because all of us have in some, in, in some form, some way participated in injustice, mm-hmm. whether it's personal injustice or whether it's a systemic injustice that we simply enjoy mm-hmm. and, and, and live, live with without any knowledge or concern about how that came about. Mm-hmm. How does the, the, the tremendous blessing uh, we accredit to God today. When I say God, God blessed America, you know, I go, well, just a minute. <laughs> Where did our yeah, blessing? Did that. you feel blessed in America? <laughs> <laughs> let's unpack that. <laughs> you know, and, and again, I pray for blessing on, on every land. Uh, sure. the, the Israelites were told to, to pray for, for the city, the Babylon. Pray for this place that you're in because the, the prosperity of this place is your prosperity. Mm-hmm. Even though they were in captivity, mm-hmm. they still needed to pray. I don't think we've learned the power of that forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness is the power of love, I think. You know, if we, you see, if you can't get love right, you can't forgive. Mm-hmm. When you understand how creator loves and how that love turned into forgiveness and it turned into such an extreme forgiveness that that he's on the cross he's being unjustly murdered and killed for doing nothing wrong and then he turns around in the midst of that horror horror and injustice and says father forgive them and then he says then he says to his disciples now go tell this story Mm. to the whole world thank you lord yeah
Well, in a minute, I want us to have you actually read one of the Lenten stories, the gospel, for this week, and then we'll unpack it just a little bit. But first of all, tell us a little bit about how people are responding. Is it having the healing effect, that the effect of bringing justice that you had hoped it would? Yes. <laughs> yeah, tell us a little bit about that, because I'm sure it's it's just so, I don't know, joyful and satisfying to hear that a work that you've put so much into is actually bringing that kind of blessing. Well, we're getting so much feedback. Even before InterVarsity Press published it, we had some earlier versions that we put out there uh, mm-hmm. so that we could get feedback, early feedback. Mm-hmm. And we had put out uh, Luke and Ephesians. A woman in Ohio wrote to me personally and said, oh, I love this translation you're working on. I've been trying to witness to this native man who hates Christianity. He hates mm-hmm. Christians. And I'm wondering, do you think I should give him this book? Mm-hmm. And I said, well... I wrote back to her and I said, if it wouldn't hurt to offer it to him and tell him that this is a translation done by native people. And she did and he took it. Mm. And when he came back, he said, Oh, I still don't like Christians, but I love that Jesus. <laughs> he says, but I understand that I have to forgive because he's a holy man and he mm. taught us. He taught us how to forgive. So I know I have to forgive all mm. you Christians for, you know, for this. Mm. And so that was just, that was early on. And mm-hmm. it was early, is during the translation, it was a hard five years. What kept me going was this kind of feedback that we were mm-hmm. getting. Wow. Well, it sounds like you've got your work cut out for you, given the invitations that are coming. And we have been wondering, are you working on the Old Testament? Is that something that's in process? Well, we are working on Psalms and Proverbs. Oh, fantastic. Oh, well, we will really look forward to that because we're we're we're, seven months into uh, a two-year project that we're anticipating will take two years. And InterVarsity Press has already agreed to publish it. Okay. All right. I think it would be beautiful for you to read our gospel for this week, which is John 3, 1 through 17, and then we'll take a moment just to discuss some of the elements of it and unpack it, and then we'll we'll read it one more time for people to just sit and listen and receive it. So we're ready, Terry, for you to read the lectionary gospel for this week, John 3, 1 through 17, from the First Nations Version. A man named Conquers the People came to Creator Sets Free in secret, at night. He was one of the separated ones, a head man of the tribes of wrestles with Creator who sat in the great council. Out of the shadows, he whispered, Wisdom Keeper, we know the Great Spirit sent you to teach us. No one can perform powerful signs like these unless the Maker of Life walks with him. I speak from my heart, Creator sets free answered. Only one who has been born from above can see Creator's good road. Conquers the people was surprised by this strange answer. So he asked, Can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb to be born a second time? Listen closely, Creator said, Spring answered. One must be born of both water and spirit to walk Creator's good road. The human body only gives birth to natural life, but it takes the spirit of creator to give birth to spiritual life. Do not be surprised that I said to you, you must be born from above. Everyone born in this way is like the wind that blows wherever it wants. You can hear its sound, 
but no one knows where it comes from or where it goes. How can these things be? Conquers the people asked. Greater sets free looked gently but firmly into his eyes and continued. How can it be that a wisdom keeper and spiritual leader of the tribes of wrestles with creator does not understand these things? Listen closely, for you fail to hear what we are talking about. We are speaking about things we know to be true. But if you do not believe me when I talk about things on earth, how will you believe me when I talk about things from the spirit world above? For there is only one who has gone up and come down from the world above, the true human being. Do you not remember when drawn from the water, lifted up a pole with a snake on it in the desert wilderness? This is what will happen to the true human being. So people will put their trust in him and have the life of the world to come that never fades away, full of beauty and harmony. Long ago, when the tribes of wrestles with Creator were wandering in the desert, they did not listen to the Great Spirit. Poisonous snakes came and bit them, and many were dying. Drawn from the water, prayed for them, so Creator told him to put a snake on a pole and lift it up so the people could see it. When they looked at it, they were healed and did not die. Conquers the people remained silent, listening to the words of Creator Sets Free. The Great Spirit loves this world of human beings so deeply. He gave us His Son, the only Son who fully represents Him. All who trust in Him and His way will not come to a bad end, but will have the life of the world to come that never fades away, full of beauty and harmony. Creator did not send His Son to decide against the people of this world, but to set them free from the worthless ways of this world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be be to God. Mm, That's beautiful. Well, let's talk about this a little bit um, before we then offer a last reading where people can, knowing a little more, sit and receive it. How do you go about choosing the names taking the names for the Trinity and for Jesus and for Israel and Moses. Tell us a little bit about that process of naming. Well, the reason we did it is because traditionally our Native people had meaning to our names. Mm-hmm. And and we were given sometimes more than one name. So as someone who was very familiar with the Greek and the Hebrew, I understood that there was meaning behind names. Mm-hmm. So I thought, we should put that in our translation. And our council agreed to that, our translation mm-hmm. council. So what we did is we looked into the, the basic meaning in the Hebrew. There's several resources out there where you can, where it gives all the names of the Bible and all their meanings. Mm. And I used other resources that were on the internet. Uh, sometimes you had to dig pretty deep, but you basically find the meaning of the name. And then I kind of give it a little bit of a native feel to the meaning. Mm -hmm. That's how we came up with all the names, and that's the reasons for them. For example, Nicodemus is conquers the people, because it Mm -hmm. comes from the the Greek, Nikeo and Demas, which is Mm -hmm. conquers and people, are right in there. And Creator sets free, of course. Uh, We know that his name means 
God saves or God delivers or creator sets free because he will set his people free from their bad hearts and broken ways, according to the spirit messenger that came to bitter tears, Mary. So, so give us, so you've the names for the, for God, the Trinity, so that we at least have those. So you've got Jesus as creator sets free. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. We just said, well, that's a, that's a good name already. Holy Spirit. We, the, mm-hmm. We'll leave Holy Spirit as Holy Spirit. <laughs> and for, uh, for God, we used a, a variety of, of names. God is a, is a term. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really a name, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. You say God, it's kind of, it has a German origin to it before it came into English. But we use creator for God, just mm-hmm. simply creator or great yeah. spirit. Or mm-hmm. sometimes we'd use one above us all, giver of breath, the maker of life, uh, different ways our native people have expressed and given a name to the supreme being. We use that differently in different places. Well, it's just so beautiful. Did you have any places where you needed to deal with like issues of gender inclusivity and or other aspects of language that are important in our culture right now? The idea of uh, God being male in the Bible. Okay, Father. God is Father. We know that Jesus was born a man. Uh, so we decided to kind of uh, say, let's stick with what the Scripture actually says, for one thing. Since the scripture does put gender identities on God in this, in the translation, we'll keep those gender identities there. But I wrote a, an introduction. We, I say I wrote it with our, our council. We wrote it together that explained that in a, in our native culture, most of our cultures, I know my Ojibwe, the Ojibwe culture, the Anishinaabe people, we understood God as with a male term. The idea of grandfather. God would be grandfather. That means the father of all fathers. It's a title of, of respect and honor uh, to say, to be called grandfather. And so our, our, our people called God grandfather. So, so uh, other tribes have too. The Lakota called, uh, uh, Black Elk said, called God grandfather. And, uh, so we just kind of followed that tradition and then, mm-hmm. and made it clear that we understand that God is actually either he's without gender or he's multiple genders, mm-hmm. depending on how you want to see that. Because yeah. whatever, whatever we are gender wise, God's that too, because we're and transcends. Yes. yes. He transcends, he transcends that. all of it. Yes. Yeah, well, and that's the beauty of some of the terminology, like the great spirit is that there is no gender association with yes. that term yes. so so it sounds like you interchange different ways of referring to god throughout is that true that is true but wherever it said father we used mm-hmm. father yeah. but places where it just uses the generic theos in the greek term for god mm-hmm. uh, we used multiple terms yeah and it sounds like maybe you made some similar decisions with man and humankind where the word refers to a man specifically you would use that terminology, but where it refers to humankind, you use the words humankind, I think. Yeah, we do. We use mm-hmm. humankind rather than mankind. For brother, we either at places said brothers and sisters, or we said family. Mm-hmm. We use the term family. Mm-hmm. 
my yeah. sacred family or my my or we say my relatives uh in places and as we do the old testament i'm uh we're staying a little more uh with that way of approaching it although we're still trying to uh we're still talking a bit about how to refer to yahweh uh in the yeah. old testament well, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a favorite verse of ours here in the Transforming Center, and so I just turned to that just to see how you handled it, and I love it. So then, my sacred family members, because Creator has shown us such mercy and kindness, I now call on you to offer your whole beings, heart, mind, and strength to the Great Spirit as a living sacrifice. Do this in a sacred and spiritual manner that will make His heart glad. Ooh, I love that. That's so beautiful. There's such a beauty to that. So thank you. Thank you so much. Well, it sounds like you all have been so thoughtful every step along the way. And I know we're going to continue to lean into this translation for our own purposes here. And I am just really thrilled to talk about this translation as being a, an act of justice for our purposes in this Lenten season, to, to see a translation like this as being an act of justice, returning to people who have had so much taken from them, returning yeah. to them the scriptures in, in a way that is more reflective of their national identity and ethnicity is just such a beautiful gift that you've given oh, you. to the world. Now, you know, John chapter 3, and I don't know if you have time for this, but mm-hmm. John chapter 3 is act- actually speaking of the kingdom justice that Jesus was mm-hmm. bringing and the way he was going to bring justice. Instead of conquering the people, Nicodemus, mm-hmm. his creator sets free. He comes to set us free and to release us from the things that have, that have held us back. And so you have a, a worldview here. A Nicodemus' worldview is being challenged by Jesus. Because Nicodemus has a worldview of conquering by the sword. Jesus has a real worldview of conquering by the cross. Yeah. By, by sacrifice, mm-hmm. by self-sacrifice. And, and it's two different worldviews. And this uh, part of the scripture, if you really read it right, it comes right out. And the names actually reveal that as mm-hmm. part of it. Well, I, I love how reading it through this translation brings fresh insight. And so even in chapter three, verse 17, it was one of the things I noticed, noted mm-hmm. as you read, creator did not send his son to decide against the people of this world, but to set them free from the worthless ways of this mm-hmm. world. That's very fresh. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really fresh reading yeah. it through the nuance of your native translation. And I, and I, and I thank you for it. So, Terry, one of the things that I'm really struck by is what Ruth just mentioned about uh, the freshness of hearing um, something that we maybe even memorized and have heard for years, but hearing it in a fresh way. And going further with that, I think it's really helpful when we are intentional about reading outside of our bubble. Um, sometimes we can get into echo chambers. We can hear the same things, listen to the same people preaching and hear the same sort of translations. And so it sort of limits us in a lot of different ways. And I think one of the ways to step out of that is to be intentional about reading outside of your bubble, um, reading people who you don't maybe don't even agree with. Could you talk a little bit about how this translation could be a justice practice of people doing that practice of reading outside of one's bubble? Well, one of the things is that, that uh, we uh, often we often read the scripture from our place of privilege. Amen. Mm-hmm. And when we do. We're not reading the Bible the way it was intended to be read. 
It was intended to be read by the oppressed, Mm -hmm. by those who were marginalized, by those who were outside. Even the idea that this kingdom wasn't being, wasn't being brought and presented to all the religious leaders. It was being brought to fishermen and, and others. And, and it included within, within a circle, Jesus, he had against cultural norms. He had Mary sit at his feet with the other disciples to be a learner and to be a, uh, considered to be one of his followers, which was not, it was against the cultural norms of the time. One of the things I can say is that we often have a, a monocultural view of God. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so there's this idea that we always have used very similar wordings. If you go through all the translations, except maybe, uh, the message, <laughs> uh, you'll find very, very similar wording. Uh, seldom do they really break out into really presenting it from a different perspective culturally. I think as far as I know, some translators have said this is the first translation culturally done in English to actually reach a certain mm-hmm. culture, to be read from the perspective of, a, of another culture. So I think reading the First Nation version helps put you in the position of someone else reading the scripture. It helps you see through the eyes of other people. And it can break us out of that monocultural view of God. Years ago, I had a picture in my mind uh, of several pottery jars. And some of them had First Nations designs on them. Some were Celtic, some African, Asian, and many more. I saw a hand pouring water into each jar. It was like Creator was saying to me that he has poured some of the portions of his gifts of grace into each ethnic group. Gifts of grace that can only come to others through each ethnicity and in relationship with them. So this picture has remained with me for years, and I've shared it many times. I always ask this question. Is the body of Christ living on Turtle Island, North America, willing to drink from the grace Creator has poured into our Native people and willing to humble themselves to that place of being receivers and not just givers? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, I, I, I really believe that, that we have to look at things from different perspective, read it through different eyes. And I think it will bring out more of the truth. I believe God has hidden beauties and revelation within each culture. And I, and to bring this into English, the English people get the advantage of, of a little bit of our native culture coming through. The scriptures, not a whole, not a sure. ton of it, but it just shows you the depths mm-hmm. of what is there and still to be, in a sense, shared with each other. Mm-hmm. And it gives us an appreciation for every tongue, every tribe, every yeah. language, yeah. every people, all, all people. Mm-hmm. Mm. What a stirring conversation. I would love for us to conclude this episode by having you read that passage one more time and allowing people to hear the freshness to just now, now that they've heard you explain a little bit about your use of words, how you've come up with names, the way in which you've interacted with the text, then let's hear it one more time with people able to receive it freshly for what God has for them. So now let's receive 
from your native language, reading once again John 3, verses 1 through 17 from the First Nations Bible. A man named Conquers the People came to Creator Sets Free in secret at night. He was one of the separated ones, a head man of the tribes of wrestles with Creator who sat in the great council. Out of the shadows, he whispered, Wisdom Keeper, we know the Great Spirit sent you to teach us. No one can perform powerful signs like these unless the Maker of Life walks with him. I speak from my heart, Creator Sets Free answered. Only one who has been born from above can see Creator's good road. Conquers the people was surprised by this strange answer. So he asked, can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb to be born a second time? Listen closely, Creator Sets Free answered. One must be born of both water and spirit to walk Creator's good road. The human body only gives birth to natural life, but it takes the spirit of Creator to give birth to spiritual life. Do not be surprised that I said to you, you must be born from above. Everyone born in this way is like the wind that blows wherever it wants. You can hear its sound, but no one knows where it comes from or where it goes. How can these things be? Conquers the people asked. Creator sets free, looked gently, but firmly into his eyes and continued. How can it be that a wisdom keeper and spiritual leader of the tribes of wrestles with Creator does not understand these things? Listen closely, for you fail to hear what we are talking about. We are speaking about things we know to be true. But if you do not believe me when I talk about things on earth, how will you believe me when I talk about things from the spirit world above? For there is only one who has gone up and come down from the world above, the true human being. Do you not remember when drawn from the water, lifted up a pole with a snake on it in the desert wilderness? This is what will happen to the true human being, so people will put their trust in him and have the life of the world to come that never fades away, full of beauty and harmony. Long ago, when the tribes of wrestles with Creator were wandering in the desert, they did not listen to the Great Spirit. Poisonous snakes came and bit them, and many were dying. Drawn from the water, prayed for them, so Creator told him to put a snake on a pole and lift it up so the people could see it. When they looked at it, they were healed and did not die. Conquers the people remained silent, listening to the words of Creator Sets Free. The Great Spirit loves this world of human beings so deeply. He gave us His Son, the only Son who fully represents Him. All who trust in Him and His way will not come to a bad end, but will have the life of the world to come that never fades away full of beauty and harmony. Creator did not send His Son to decide against the people of this world, but to set them free from the worthless ways of this world. 